I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, more, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, the good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico, and I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Welcome to our first ever, well, second ever 20 Vine Teen Bear That Fruit uh, episode of the Magnificast. That's that's right. It's 20 Vine Teen, and uh, it's up to you to bear all that good christian fruit those those big delicious juicy apples of the spirit um so in this episode uh we got a lot of cool stuff coming we're going to talk about parties and jody dean and um why people don't like them and maybe why they should join them well like communist parties not the other ones um because those ones are boring before we get there we have a few housekeeping items that we need to uh get on uh the first and most important housekeeping item is amaria shea um if you like our uh, cool intro music, you um, might like this new EP from Amaria. Um, it's called My Mother's House EP. You can find it on uh, Bandcamp at amariashay.bandcamp.com. And it's neat, and you can buy it for $5, but you can also just listen to it. But you should definitely buy it. Um, so, I don't know. I'm always um, surprised whenever I listen to an episode of The Magnificast because the intro music is so cool. So um, <laughs> I'm a real big fan of Amaria, and I'm uh, very excited that she has released an EP. So check it out. Um, yeah, it's super good. I listen to it and can say it's good. <laughs> it's uh, It's got that Dean seal of approval. 20... Five out of five review. 29 Dean approval. Um, <laughs> speaking out of five out of five reviews, uh, we haven't done this in a while, but we're going to go ahead and do it because we finally have a new one. We're going to read our <laughs> iTunes reviews. <laughs> Um, back in October, we got a three out of five stars, and uh, since then, we have been in an iTunes review drought, but we got a new one. just those three stars. They really dissuaded everyone. <laughs> That's right. It set a very negative tone for the uh, review <laughs> environment, um, but uh, back on December 11th, uh, we got a new one. I haven't been checking them because of all the negativity, um, but we have a new one, and I'm going to read it. Uh, so the title of this review is called Loosing Chains, and Chains is spelled, spelled with a Z, so you know it's good. Oh, nice. Five to five I stars. Love I love that album. Yeah, <laughs> Loosing Chains, that's right. Man, if that is not a contemporary Christian album, I do not know what is. Um, <laughs> Toby Max, uh, Lost EP. <laughs> that's right. Okay, well, this user writes, um, been listening since day one, which is quite Whoa. the achievement. 
Uh, I don't want to make any jokes about that because it's too real. Uh, these dudes bring on the best guests, recommend the best books, and inspire action. When I jumped in, I thought it would be fun to have a homegrown show that kind of spoke to my religious and political ideas, but I've been pleasantly surprised at how they've grown into a legitimate voice of the Christian left TM and challenged both my religion and politics. And this is all while keeping it breezy. The Beavis and Butthead <laughs> in between Marxist and scripture readings really work for me. That's cool. <laughs> that is definitely our aesthetic. Is sort of uh, a very smart Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, produced by Mike Judge. <laughs> well, that was a kind thing for someone to have written. Um, I can't even imagine listening to this podcast since the first episode. <laughs> I don't think that I have, actually. <laughs> yeah, I probably missed a few episodes here and there. Like, <laughs> editing a podcast episode is definitely different than listening to it as well, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, way different. Yeah, um, I don't know which one of us is Beavis and which one is Butthead, but uh, I we're both simultaneously to watch that show. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's all right. They are they do come as a unit package deal. <laughs> Becoming Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> uh, that's what someone needs to make. Mike Judge needs to make a a Marx and Angles, uh, like Young Marx, um, you know, fictional biopic, but it's just Beavis and Butthead <laughs> talking about capital. Um, the Young Marx movie is actually not super different than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also come to our attention on twitter this week that we've ruffled some feathers by being a very pro cussing sort of brand uh a pro cussing internet brand and i want dean to kind of explain our um uh sorry hang on let me, let me back this up uh i'm gonna i want the uh vp of cussing uh dean deloff to come and talk about our new stance uh on cussing on the magnificast Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you for coming to this uh, press conference. Uh, I'll be brief. I'll, I'll keep things brief. I know that, you know, people have other engagements. Uh, the Magnificast is pro cussing. We it, that's not to say that we are um, regular cussers, only that we are pro cussers. Uh, if you're a cusser, if you like a couple of cusses now and then you're you're more than welcome on this podcast. You're more than welcome on our Twitter feed. Uh, apologies to all um, all of our moms, but no apologies to the trads. So in case you are very confused by this new uh, aggressively pro-cussing stance that we're taking, um, some people on Twitter got very mad at Ben Wildflower for having a swear next to the next to the picture of uh, the Virgin Mary on the Magnificast t-shirt. Um, and he's handling it really well, but the trads are so mad about it. Um, very upset. But anyways... Uh, on the Magnificast, you're uh, we're listed as clean lyrics, but you're you know likely to hear a piss every now and again. Yeah, every now and then also again you'll hear a piss. That's true. I think I've actually only sworn in the podcast maybe once, but other people do. Yeah, it's fine with me. I'm not a I'm not a, a cusser by nature, but I appreciate a good cuss. I do. Lo- I like cussing behind closed doors, not publicly. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel that way too. Um, when you're in a safe environment to cuss, and you can just kind of really, really take your your cussing socks off and uh, just let it all hang out, you know. Mm-hmm. Let all the cusses out. <laughs> uh, cool. That's that's all the housekeeping notes. The house is now kept uh, in order. Finally cleaned it up. It's been a while. It's looking a little dirty around here. Uh, let's dive into it. This week we're going to talk about communist parties. Um, we've kind of like softly gotten into this a little bit in the past uh a while ago we had well even in the beginning we had some episodes with derek ford um a marxist leninist who's a member of the party for socialism and liberation and he talked about it a little bit 
And we also had Jody Dean on the show, and she talked about it a little bit. And we're going to talk about a couple of books that she wrote, or at least some points that she makes in them. Um, but we've never really sat down and made a, 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 I don't know, like a full, we've never made it a, a thing to think about why someone would want to join a communist party, uh, why someone wouldn't, and, you know, maybe a little bit more about how Christians have tried to negotiate that relationship. Um, so that's kind of like the the little roadmap for the episode. We're going to first talk a little bit about why people aren't into parties, um, following Jody Dean a little bit, and then switch to why people should like parties, uh, and talk a little bit about what they are and what they do. And uh, we're going to then move into how some Christians have negotiated that relationship, and that might give us some ways to talk about or think about why Christians should join communist parties today, or at least what that would like mean, uh, and maybe even what it would not mean. Um, so we'll kind of see what happens. We've got a, a loose set of notes here that we're going to riff off of, um, but let's dive into it. Matt, uh, why don't people like communist parties? That's a really great question. Um, it does seem like people don't like parties, and... Uh exactly the reason why is uh one that we'd probably have to parse out um jody dean has a little bit of an illuminating uh bit of insight in her book crowd and parties i think we can kind of start with that will help us get into this conversation a bit more she says this it sometimes seems as if people on the left love revolution but hate the party we enthusiastically support transformation especially personal transformation Yet, in the same breath, we scoff at institutionalized practices strategically oriented toward the pursuit of radical political change. Okay, so this is a really interesting thing. People uh, in the U.S., at least, really like the idea of social transformation, the idea of revolution. Like, that's kind of like what being a leftist is all about, is like um, overturning this bad, um, uh, this bad butt of a society that we live in for something else. And it's like we... Cuss alert. <laughs> Cuss alert, sorry. Uh, this bad... <laughs> this bad, stinky butt of a society that we live in. Uh, we love the idea of overthrowing it, but we are not really sold on the idea of how to overthrow it or like how to transform it. Um, so it's just like kind of a, a weird situation, but I think that is just like a good description of the kind of world that we live in. Um, leftists want to do something. They want something different. And like, you know, it's good to want that. But uh, at the same time, we're not really willing to, um, I guess like, uh, take up that type of organization for one for one reason or another um, and the reason why is kind of hard you know whether it's just like uh, a disenchantment with organized politics or there's tactical problems or there's like you know other situations going on we'll kind of get into that in a minute um, this whole thing reminds me of this time I actually got to see Jody Dean speak uh, which is a pretty wild situation um, I was at this conference with um, Richard Gilman Opolsky, who was my master's advisor, who we've talked about a lot on this show, and I like him a lot. Just wanted to say it. He's a good one. <laughs> um, and anyway, so Jody Dean gave the keynote lecture at this conference, and it was about like um, it was it was about crowds and parties, basically, because it was around that time. And um, she was just kind of trying to convince people. <laughs> she was trying to convince people is kind of a silly way to put it because it was a it was a room full of like old academic Marxists. She was like, "Listen, you guys <laughs> should like reevaluate the idea of joining a communist party." And everyone in the room was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> the questions after the talk were really funny because it was like I don't know, seriously, maybe like a few hundred people were just like, uh, "Hey, Jody Dean, this is a really cool talk. Thanks a lot. You had a very funny slideshow." full of memes. We all appreciate that. Uh, where can we all sign up? And then that was kind of the end of the conversation. <laughs> and it was really wild because like 
that I guess is kind of the question, right? Like, where do we sign up? Um, people right. want transform like a transform society. It, it seems like um, there is, in some ways, um, some like energy towards that idea of a party, but at the same time, still no one's like uh, taking the initiative to like just sign people up, which is uh, <laughs> a radically strange idea or like a, a strange problem. And you know, not to say that there aren't parties that are actively trying to do that. Like, I mean, Jody Dean herself is a party, uh, a part of the PSL, but like for some reason. Um, that form of activism and organization has not really just like caught on like wildflower. Uh, oh my God. Caught on like wildfire amongst academics um, at the moment or anybody, I guess not just academics. Yeah. I like caught on by wildflowers better. Um, <laughs> Me too. It's better, <laughs> better than wildfire. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I would prefer to be part of a, a, a wildflower rampage. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh no, I think that's right, right? Like uh the party form has kind of collapsed in some ways by virtue of it being not really recognizable. Um like it's not ubiquitous. Uh you know, the Communist Party USA still exists. Um the PSL exists and there are other communist parties in the US um and other parts of like the US and Canada that exist. Uh but they're not um you know, they're not making like headlines in the news. Uh, if you if you wanted to join one, like you would have to really work hard to learn about them, unless you were just fortunate enough, and I guess to like know them by virtue of some organizing or something, um, and that makes sense. The people don't really feel like it's necessary. Um, but uh, and I guess I should say there's also another really interesting point that Jody Dean brings up in another book called uh, The Communist Horizon, which is a short little essay, um, totally worth reading. But she says in there. Um, leftists are justifiably anxious with regard to the party. Uh, a desire for collectivity is not the only desire for which parties have provided a form. They've also served as forms for desires for a master. And I think that's important to actually flag that and recognize that that's a legitimate concern. Um, a lot of communists kind of write that off as being dumb or I don't know. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll talk about reasons why we think that's not the last word on parties, just like Jody Dean does. Um, but it's not a bad idea to admit that parties obviously are not perfect. And in the past, communist parties and socialist parties have made lots and lots of mistakes. And um, those mistakes have to do with everything from strategy to relationships to bureaucracy, etc. Um, and in fact, like most party programs that I read today, uh, I have like a weird, um, I don't know, affinity for reading party programs. Uh, they often like go out of their way to talk about the mistakes of past parties, not least um, over bureaucratization or, uh, as Jody Dean calls it, a sort of form for a desire for a master. Um, so, you know, that's another reason people don't like parties. Like they, they rightly intuit that there has been, you know, bad mechanisms within parties and that turns them off and kind of makes them think that that's all there is to say about the party. That's a good self-reflective practice, I think, to even just be upfront about maybe uh, about the shortcomings of party organizations. Um, after that time, I saw Jody Dean. I talked with my advi- uh, my advisor about you know like what she said, and uh, him being I think way more of a left communist than I am now, and you know maybe even was then. He said that it's like interesting because like uh, no one is really asking for a party, and like. Um, it was like it was right after Occupy Wall Street happened, and it like wasn't like people were asking for like you know a new communist party or something. But it was it was interesting to him that Jody Dean was calling for one, even though like activists weren't asking for it. 
And I think that at the time that really made sense to me that like um, people like weren't really seeking this out for some reason um, or it seemed that to, or or it seemed like that was the case at least. But um, but even but but now I think I wonder what he would say or I mean, I even wonder what I say sometimes, too, because I mean, I I'm not a Marxist Leninist, but I'm not um, closed off to the idea. That's for sure. But like uh, it seems like people are kind of asking for that now i mean like the the entryway that the dsa has provided for people in at least the united states has been a really interesting kind of thing because all of a sudden like the leftist discourse is like you know all about organizing and all about like you know structures and bylaws and people get like in huge twitter arguments about um the wording of bylaws for their dsa branch or whatever so if people are getting like this energized by the idea of organization maybe um maybe like um the energy is there for a party or something yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's also interesting because in both the Communist Horizon and Crowds and Party, uh, Jody Dean uses Occupy Wall Street as her argumentative foil. Mm -hmm. And she does so as somebody who participated in it. Um, so she was part of it and was trying to think it through and especially to think through its failures. And, you know, like it did not succeed in um, like gaining any real tangible uh lasting like structural changes after the 2008 financial crisis not to say that it was useless or anything like that um but the the mode of horizontal organizing that occupy preferred uh didn't um didn't provide us with the means to you know build socialism after one of the like worst um financial crises in like recent memory um which is a compelling point yeah i think yeah i think so too uh, all right, so let's maybe talk a little bit about why people should parties or should like parties. I feel like it's, I mean, people have lots of very easy reasons that they could probably think of of why people don't like parties. Um, but I think trying to work through uh, a little bit of a critical apparatus with respect to some of those objections and then a more affirming apparatus of like why parties are good or could be good uh, would be useful. So here's kind of a quick um, polemical but really useful quote from Crowds and Party. Uh, Jodadine writes, uh, oh, I should set this up real quick. So she's talking about like, um, she wades into debates between anarchists and Marxists and a number of different kinds of Marxists. And she wants to say that um, there's a kind of straw man argument that happens with respect to calls for the party that always uh, reduce parties down into their most um, authoritarian or centralized possible, uh, you know, forms. Um, and she wants to say that, well, that is way too easy to kind of dismiss. So she says this. The charge of the few dominating the many thrown about so vigorously on the left illuminates nothing specific to Marxism, Marxism-Leninism, socialism, or communism. Rather, it points to the challenges of organization, duration, and extension that persist after the dissipation of crowds. The gap of politics is unavoidable. Repeating the critique of centralism and authoritarianism time after time and setting after setting reinscribes fantasies of a politics without politics, fantasies of a beautiful moment when the many immediately know and realize their desire. To the extent that the left fails to recognize and take responsibility for the enabling condition of political collectivity, it will remain trapped in its own self-critique, unable to build or seize the organizations it needs. So there's a lot to pull apart in that uh, short little paragraph. Um, I think there's a lot of really good points that she makes. Um, but a couple to just maybe get us chatting. 
Uh, one, I think, is the the problem of authoritarianism or centralism is not unique to Marxism per se, but is just a problem in all of politics, I think is a really good point. Um, we've talked about that in the past, about sort of anarchism, that sometimes anarchists will disavow uh, hierarchy or power or authority only to find it um, cropping up in different ways. Uh, and then uh, another point that I think is really neat um, is this idea that there really is no sort of pure standpoint, right? You have to sort of throw yourself in and then just deal with the problems as they come rather than uh, getting all your like theoretical ducks in a row such that you think there might not be problems after that. Yeah, I find this to be a really interesting way of thinking about political organization, or at least a really sober look at it. Like, um, one of the things I end up studying and kind of teaching a lot in my classes is like organizational communication. And just thinking about the ways that like organizations are set up and like kind of like how power flows through them. And I think in just doing those types of analyses and like thinking about like org charts and dumb stuff like that, I I mean, what you recognize is exactly what she said, that there's like, you know, the few dominating the many doesn't say anything specific about like Marxism or Marxism Leninism. It's just like something that we, people have to deal with in hierarchical institutions. And um, there are like ways to negotiate that with regards to like the design of an institution. Um, So I think that like that knee jerk fear of like, Oh man, if there's a party, that means someone's in charge. And if someone's in charge, that means they're going to tell me to clean my room. And that makes me very afraid is just like kind of unfounded because like good luck being a part of any kind of thing that doesn't fall like have that problem. But it's also like, um, it's just, it just ends up being such a strange fear, that type of disavowal because like organizations always find ways to deal with that. I mean, sometimes they fail and they find crappy ways to deal with it, but like, um, that's politics. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. I think this is a good way to bring Christianity into the conversation a little bit as well. Um, because there is a tendency, I think, for Christians to not want to get too involved in something that they feel is going to go off the rails. And they do that, especially when it comes to politics. But the irony is that any Christian who's ever been part of a church knows that, uh, like, church, which is supposed to be the place that's making you into a better and better person, uh, is also often the place of, like, some really toxic or dysfunctional relationships. Uh, but, you know, Christians who are church-going Christians still go because they believe that there's something good underneath it or at least there's something worth participating in those institutions despite all the problems and those problems are things that you should work out right like nobody goes to church or hopefully doesn't go to church expecting it to be a perfect community and uh ironically um though christians understand that about their own kind of worship practices uh they don't usually extend that same kind of uh logic to their political um associations or or actions Here's a weird suggestion um, that <laughs> is going to sound silly. Um, <laughs> non-religious leftists who are afraid of like the inherent sort of like badness of power or hierarchy ought to go to see like a church board meeting in action. <laughs> because like, yeah. listen, like um, deciding on the bylaws of your DSA organization or like, you know, the bylaws of any organization any any leftist group or whatever. I'm, I'm sure that at times they could be very tense and very uncomfortable, but listen, you have not seen a single thing until you've seen people at church arguing over a budget or arguing over like how much money you should give to like this group or whatever. Um, I, I've never been 
a part of anything that has been more politically contentious than like a church board meeting. It is, uh, I think, <laughs> pretty buck wild. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing that I think Jody Dean is pointing out here too, right? Like you couldn't ever go anywhere where you're not going to have those kinds of problems. So like you might as well just not pretend that you could, right? Just, uh, I guess, embrace the problems, pick the problems you want to have. Yeah, but I think what is cool, I mean, like, okay, so at my church, the way that we resolve those really tense moments is, like, that they use Robert's Rules of Order, and the same thing, I think, at, at most DSA places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, there's a sort of a mechanism of decision-making where it seems at least like it's mostly equitable, even though it's tense, right? And right. and that those types of mechanisms or, like, protocols are really important to develop, and it's not like Marxist parties like communist parties marxist leninist parties haven't also thought about that like democratic centralism is a is a mode of decision making that i think is like i don't know for the most part pretty fair and not bad um so i don't know there are different ways to kind of negotiate power within hierarchy it's not just that like i, I mean the the most tired thing or the most tired misunderstanding is that like hierarchy is always authoritarian um because it's not like there are just different ways to negotiate power when there is sort of like a, a hierarchy of decision makers. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, anybody who's ever been part of a communist party or organization in general um, will tell you like there's all kinds of rules and regulations and rights that you have as a member um, that get negotiated or represented in one way or another. Um, like it isn't the case that everybody just kind of like does whatever the party says, whenever it says to do X or Y. Right. Um, there's like a lot of complicated moving parts and you got to find your place within it. Just like anything else. Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right. So maybe that's like a good way to start talking about what parties actually do. Like, okay, there's lots of reasons people don't join them. Um, there's also a lot of reasons why maybe in spite of those reasons you should join them. <laughs> but if you did, what would you be looking forward to? Yeah. Well, uh, luckily for us, <laughs> Joe Dean's already got this figured out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to pull from Marx here in a second too. So if you're like Joe Dean, whatever, and you get your all about Marx, just wait. But, uh, Joe Dean says this about, uh, parties and like what they should do. The role of the party isn't to inject knowledge into the working class nor is it to represent the interests of the working class on the train of politics. Rather, the function of the party is to hold open a gap in our setting so as to enable a collective desire for collectivity. The crowd's breach of the predictable and given creates the possibility that a political subject might appear. The party steps into that breach and fights to keep it open for people. I think this is a really, um, actually a pretty different way of talking about what the party does uh, with relation to Marx, but we'll get there in a minute. But still, I think this is pretty good. It's probably better than Marx in some ways. Um, but I like the idea of like holding open a gap or kind of like giving like some direction. Um, uh, the party steps into that breach and fights to keep it open for the people is cool because it's like, I, I guess like the thing about politics is that um, people who pay attention to politics or people who are most vulnerable to the whims of capitalist politics I think um, are people who are also like really vulnerable to falling to sort of like despair or depression or just understanding the tragedy of moments and having a group of people who are willing to like stay there and give direction in light of those types of tragedy or like moments of despair is really valuable. Um, So like people who are there saying like, listen, there's something else you can do, even though this is very bad is good. So I think that's a cool way to put it. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I really like the way that she talks about how the party sort of holds open a gap that gets opened. Um, I think that's great because the assumption isn't that the party just kind of like goes around and like messes stuff up and like that's what makes the party so great. It's like, well, in the world, like things get messed up and like the party steps into like the big mess and is like, all right, everyone, uh, don't worry. Once people clean it up, like we're going to know how the mess happened in the first place and we're going to keep on thinking about that for a while and like we'll be there when the next mess happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a kind of a institutional memory that gets deposited within parties and uh, I mean, when you are part of a, a party, I think one of the big benefits is being able to talk with people who have been involved in struggles for a lot longer than you have or have gained experience. And, you know, the party is an apparatus that is learning all the time uh, from those kinds of things uh, together. And I think that's like a really neat way that Jody Dean puts it. Like you get the sense that the party is really organic, really dynamic, um, and it it gains all of its being by virtue of being with the people and being sort of for the people rather than like trying to take them over or I don't know, like speak for them or something like that. Yeah. So something else. So, okay. I mean, I'm saying I'm, I'm going to say this not as my own experience, but as an observation based on, you know, other friends experience, because I don't actually belong to a party, which is not great, but kind of a byproduct of being a rule person. Um, so parties like they do that right like they kind of like um they kind of direct people but um there's also something else that parties do in the sense that they have like uh i guess you might just call it like an institutional memory or like um you know they they have a they're they're a group of people who have built up like a common type of understanding of the world that is like much older than just like you know people on twitter talking about you know the the pol- the political discourse or talking about theory or something right if you're involved in like a, a group of activists you have people who have like um who have like been through it in one way or another who have you know been a part of struggles and can kind of contribute their experience to the um to like the the memory stores of the collectivity right you have people who know what they're talking about uh that's all i guess all i'm trying to say is in a really fancy way is that like the good thing about joining a party is that there will be people that are in that organization that know what's up and that's awesome yeah i should say by way of experience uh there's a guy in the communist party of canada named danny goldstick and he's quite old now um but very like spry and uh intelligent dude and I love talking to him because his parents were communists and then he was a communist and like his whole life has been in the party. He was like ran for office a few times. And uh, it's great to talk to him because like there are things that I read about and then I wonder about on my own. And then I see Danny and I'm like, oh, hey, um, what was it like when this happened? And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like, I remember what this person said and like who was there and who got involved and, you know, like being able to actually talk to somebody who was committed to the struggle at that time and is still committed to the struggle at this time is like really fascinating. Um, And it's a lot more important, I think, than like sitting at home and reading Marx on your own or even like showing up at a couple of like important protests or marches um, because it helps you to like train your own kind of institutional memory as well. Yeah, I think so. Just like going to church. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Okay, so that's um, so far we've we've gotten into a lot of what Jody Dean has said about the Communist Party, which I think she's a person really qualified to talk about it. Um, she's uh, really great. You know, okay, sorry, let me make a quick plug. Uh, Jody Dean is really good. Go read Crowds and Parties, or yeah, Crowds and Parties. 
uh, go read Communist Horizon. But really, what you need to do is get out there and read her book on aliens. Uh, it is so great. <laughs> uh, it's uh, a really different book, but super fun. Uh, it's a little bit dated because it was written in the late 90s. But uh, listen, Jody Dean talking about aliens is my favorite. All right. <laughs> that's that's the Jody Dean deep cut. The truth is out there. Yeah, the truth is out there. Uh, and the truth is, go read that book. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> So Joey Dean has a lot to say about parties, but um, other communists do too, um, uh, especially Marx. Uh, Marx has some interesting things to say about parties. I, I mean, it's like different uh, contextually because of sort of the you know historical situation that he was in. Um, but still, it's kind of an interesting way to think about the party and like what it should actually do. Might as well you know go right to the horse's mouth and see what this what this big communist <laughs> horse said about the communist party. <laughs> Yikes, that's a whole lot of weird things I just said. That's worse than swears, I think. Not uh, not challenging language, but a, a real challenging idea. Uh, the cusser's cuss. The cusser's cuss. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, at the very uh, beginning of the second part of the Communist Manifesto, called Proletarians and Communists, um, Marx lays out uh, exactly what he thinks that the communists, like, should do and who they are and how they should relate to the proletariat. So uh, I'm going to read a few chunks and we'll kind of talk through it and then we can read a few more chunks. Let's chunk this one out. Um, So Marx says, in what relation do the communists stand to the proletarians as a whole? The communists do not form a separate party opposed to other working class parties. They have no interests separate and apart from those of the proletariat as a whole. They do not set up any sectarian principles of their own by which to shape and mold the proletarian movement. The communists are distinguished from other working class parties by this only. In the national struggles of the proletarians of different countries, they point out and bring to the front the common, the common interests of the entire proletariat, independently of all nationality. And uh, the second thing that they bring to the table is in the various stages of development which the struggle of the working class against the bourgeoisie had to pass through, they always and everywhere represent the interests of the movement as a whole. So um, Marx goes on to say some other things, too, that we can get to in a minute. But in this uh, in this iteration here, I think it's kind of pretty easy to see what Marx has in mind, that like the communists aren't some aren't a group of people who are supposed to be separate from the proletarians. Right. They're supposed to be definitely sort of part of um, part of that struggle. They're not like a separate party. They um, they don't have any special interests. They just they just want the interests of the proletariat. But the way Marx talks about the communists um, with relation to the proletariat as kind of like a party is kind of it's kind of like a constant. Like they're the people that are supposed to be there and constantly point out like, okay, so the proletariat wants this. This is like what the proletariat in other countries are kind of after. Um, They're trying to, like I guess, like like establish a type of continuity between different struggles in different places. And that seems like an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it goes along, I think, a little bit with Jody Dean's thing about, like, holding that gap open, um, trying to step in when even that gap might not be clear to everybody at the same time. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I feel like in in um, Marx's uh, explanation, you, you could see how people might accuse communists of telling the proletariat, like, what to do. Like, in the sense that, like, um, you know, that you want to make sure that... Um, 
you in national struggles, um, the communists point out and bring to front the common interests of the of the entire proletariat in the sense that like the party might be there saying like, okay, we know that you are you know demanding this, but really it's in your best interest to do this thing, right? I guess you could read that in there, and that's definitely maybe how it's worked out sometimes. But um, I think that like charitably you could read Marx and not really get that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's true, and I think it's also worth pointing out too that uh, like how to say this like the long history of communist parties um is really interesting because it's a it's a like transmission of ideas and practice in history uh that like starts with this kind of idea right all the way back to marx um and then is filtered through how communists actually did end up having to organize uh alongside the proletariat to accomplish these very goals yeah well so marx finishes up his um his point saying that the communists therefore are on the one hand, practically the most advanced and resolute section of the working class parties of every country, uh, that section which pushes forward all others. On the other hand, theoretically, they have over the great mass of the proletariat the advantage of clearly understanding the line of march, the conditions, and the ultimate general results of the proletarian movement. Um, So this could again kind of come off negatively if you read it that way, but also, I mean, you kind of get Marx's point um, I mean, Marx has a, a a philosophical project that's tied to his, uh, you know, his like communist project. So um, what Marx is saying here is like the communists should like, you know, be people who know how to read history um, and like understand like what needs to be done. So uh, it could be it could sound bad, I guess. Uh, but I don't think it's intended to be like the communists telling people what to do. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's also like, um like we were just saying, like communists as a group are supposed to kind of um, be the people who are intentionally thinking about struggles all the time, right? Um, like that's what communist parties do. Like they think together about stuff and they reflect on it and they try to strategize in light of all that thinking. Uh, that's not true of the proletariat as a whole. I mean, it's true of certain specific proletarians, maybe, or like members of the proletariat. Um, but it isn't the case that like every worker is out there thinking of, you know, their struggle. Um, and the communists sort of make that their responsibility or their job, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And they, they're, they're lobbying for a very specific vision and like, you know, good for them. I mean, the, the proletariat is not, you know, you can't substitute it for the communist party. It's not the same. Right. All right. So we've talked a little bit about communist parties. What are they? Uh, what are they for? What aren't they for? Et cetera. But let's talk a little bit how Christians about how Christians have shown up um, in or alongside or in relation to communist parties. This is going to be kind of like a, a quick, I guess, like greatest hits of some episodes that we've done in the past. Um, just thinking through and pulling together some threads that we've already talked through to see how uh, certain Christian people or movements relate to communist parties. Um so let's start maybe closer to home, I guess, uh, in Canada and the U.S. Um, and in the labor movement with A.E. Smith, we did an episode on him, and Grace Hutchins, we did an episode on her. Um, so what's really fascinating about both of them is that they both start out as like really zealous Christians. Um, Smith becomes a pastor. Hutchins is a, uh, I don't know, kind of a missionary, but definitely a, a social gospel Christian. And uh, the two of them get like so invested in the labor struggle because of their Christianity that they end up getting pretty fed up with like reactionary tendencies of other Christians that they meet or have to work alongside. And they end up adopting uh, the Communist Party of the USA and Canada, you know, respectively. 
Um, so I don't know, Matt, what do you think about that? Like, what do Smith and Hutchins kind of tell us a little bit about Christians and maybe one relationship they could have to the Communist Party? Yeah, A.E. Smith and Grace Hutchins of the list that we've made of these greatest hits, um, to me, they're like actually the most difficult to deal with. Um, on the one hand, like, I think that their lives are really instructive. Like they were people who were really motivated by the gospel to like, you know, um, also be socialists, which is great. Um, and, you know, they embodied a certain type of ethic. And I think that's cool and inspirational. Um, but um, it's a bummer that they end up stop, like, they, like, you know, stop being Christians for the most part to join the party. And I know that there's, like, a lot of stuff bound up in that, too. Like, you know, I can't imagine being around um, a bunch of communists during, like, you know, the labor movement in North America being super, like, thrilled that you were a Christian, you know, and probably trying to persuade you otherwise. Um or, you know, even just being in the, in the environment, seeing, seeing like, people around you do this type of work, you might think, like, well, like, why do I need this church at all if they're going to be, like, really reactionary? Um, so, anyways, I, I guess, like, on the one hand, to me, it's, like, kind of disappointing because, like, I think it would be it would be really cool and rad if they were just, like, okay, we're going to be Christians and join the Communist Party and, like, that's just going to be our thing. But, on the other hand, I kind of get, I get where they're coming from because I'm sure it was a very difficult thing to go to church and then also go to a party meeting and then, like, have people at church give you um the stink eye <laughs> yeah i think so um i think you're right that we kind of start out with the most difficult case maybe we should have saved them for the end but <laughs> i think that <laughs> like uh one thing that always kind of comes up for you especially when i think about smith uh but also hutchins is that the communist party basically helps them give certain answers to questions that they couldn't really figure out within Christianity, Mm -hmm. um, which is too bad. Like it's too bad that Christianity actually wasn't as advanced as communism um, such that they could figure that out. Uh, But I think that's actually really instructive, right? That like, I don't think that you have to abandon your faith if you join a communist party. Um, And at least like people I know and my own experience hanging out with communists is like, they don't really ask you to do that too much these days either. Um, but one thing that you can super gain from hanging out with communists is a way of actually making sense of uh, like real possible political solutions to the kinds of things that Christianity attunes you to get upset about, like people being poor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess my my big concern... Okay, this is not really a big concern, but you know how... like. Um... Sometimes somebody will say something mean to you and you're always like really afraid that it's actually true or something. I guess like <laughs> when it comes to these examples, it makes me a little bit, um, it makes me kind of like, I guess like sensitive to to this fact or something that like, I feel like people will look at examples like A.E. Smith or Grace Hutchins and how they like, you know, moved away from Christianity and just joined the communist party and like kind of disavowed their faith. And they'll think that like, well, that's what Christian communists are. They're really just people who, are communists who want to like you know evangelize to Christians or something, or they want to you know um, they just want to like stuff they they want to stuff communism into like a Christian shell or something. Um, that's like what the trads are always on to us about, right? They're always just like accusing yeah. that like accusing us that like you know we're not really Christians, we're actually just communists who like have this like this like tinge of Christianity to it. And right. I was the Trojan horse. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like I don't think that's true. Because, like, I don't know, I think that we're both actually pretty faithful and devout people uh, for for being, like, uh, on a podcast where we are very supportive of saying swears and cusses. 
but um i always like i always really afraid that like that could secretly be true but like, i don't want it to be and i don't think it is it's just like it's just something in the bla- the background whenever i think through these characters like of smith and hutchins um so uh there it is i laid it all on the line buried my soul on this podcast and that's um that's all i gotta say about that yeah uh i mean i would still love you for sure if you uh if you decide to go that route it's fine <laughs> Well, like, um, I don't. I mean, I think there's, you know, like, I'm, I just, like, I don't feel like that would ever be something I would, I would do specifically. It's just, like, it's just, like, you know, something I'm really sensitive about, I suppose. Something I'm really worried. <laughs> the trads have got under my skin, and they're just getting to me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's their job. Um, all right, well, let's move on to a more uplifting case, then. Maybe this will bring you back around. Um, and that's the uh, Christians for National Liberation in the Philippines. Um, this is a group that we are both endlessly fascinated by and have continued to study despite only doing one episode on them just because they're like the most wild, um, wild and interesting kind of Christian group. I think that we've discovered together still. Um, I feel that way anyway. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, yeah. Um, so for people who don't know, they, the Christians for National Liberation, or abbreviated as the CNL, they are part of something called the uh, National Democratic Front of the Philippines, the NDFP, which is a unified front that includes the Communist Party of the Philippines, which sort of brought it into being, but they're like a member organization. Um, so the CNL is fascinating because they're an explicit group of Christians, like that's their thing, it's in their name, who are committed to this this front like this uh actual you know cooperative um networked uh intersecting group of leftist and communist organizations um and i think they're so fascinating for a lot of reasons i mean their history is really brave and courageous uh but what they show structurally with respect to the communist party is that um sometimes christians can actually have their own interests represented as christians in relation to communist struggle, and that isn't seen as oppositional at all. Uh, in fact, it's seen as a, a boon to the communist movement to have Christians be Christians in the movement. Um, and that's something I just kind of think about a lot as a really interesting case study. Yep, this one makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something, I, the CNL, I guess, I mean, they absolutely are the most interesting thing I've ever heard about in my entire life. Um, I mean, like, (laughs) we we deal with, like, a ton of history on this show and, like, historical movements or historical people, and they're all great and fantastic and wonderful, and I'm glad they existed. But the CNL still exists. Like, that's what's wild to me. Right. And they, like, you know, every now and again, um, Liberation, the NDFP um, newspaper, will, like, post stories about them or communicates from them. And they're, like, still people, like, standing out there with signs and, like, protesting with bandanas on their face or they're in the jungle or whatever, right? Um, I guess to me that seems like um, – I don't – man, I'm about to use a, a real Marxist-Leninist term, and I don't like it. But uh, <laughs> they're like – the, the CNL and the NDFP is a real advanced, so, like, sort of socialist organization – because like they figured it out they like they figured the thing out that like most other communist parties or socialists haven't been able to and the thing they figured out was like you can create like you can create a space for christians and like religious people in your organization and it not be bad and like they figured it out and no one else did and it's just them so pay attention yeah there's an amazing uh reflection from jose maria cizan who's the leader of the communist party of the philippines uh, where he tells the story of the CNL from his perspective. And it's so awesome because he basically is like, 
yeah, I don't know. We were a bunch of like materialists. And then all like everywhere we looked, there were these Christians doing wild stuff. And we got together and like they agreed to read some Maoist stuff. We agreed to like talk to them about their religion. And uh, it turned out that like we were kind of all on the same page. <laughs> it's like the coolest story of like not really worrying that much about like, I don't know, crossing all your like ideological T's and dotting all the I's or whatever. It's just like, well, we're we're all in it. Um, and then that's what they did. Like they made a, a big umbrella organization where everybody's in it. Yeah, so um, the NDFP, uh, if you go to the website, they just uh, they just redid their website. They did a, a, a rebrand, a refresh. It looks really great. But it, it has like a, a banner of all the different organizations that are a part of the NDFP. So like Christians for National Liberation are right there. Um, a few a few tiles down from like the People's Army and um, a few tiles down from like the like scientists for the people or whatever in Phil- in the Philippines. So like, I don't know, there's like one of the gang. It's it's pretty dope. <laughs> it is. Uh okay, so next on the list, uh this is a throwback to I don't know, a bunch of episodes ago um when when we read Fidel and Religion. Um so even in Cuba, the place uh a place that uh Christianity is supposed to be suppressed, uh it's uh not I guess as much as you think. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, like um, Marxist Leninist parties always get the rap of being um, atheist and, you know, people of faith have to hide their faith or they just can't be involved or whatever. But it's notable that in 1992, Fidel allowed people to be open about their Christian faith within the Communist Party of Cuba, which means that, like, you know, they were probably Christians in the party before that. They were just sort of kind of hush-hush about it. But in 1992, it was kind of, like, relaxed and opened up so that you could be a person of faith but also be in the Communist Party. So, So there you go. That's what that, um, I mean, you know, uh, it's different than the approach the CNL had because there was a time of repression, but, um, it's still a different, uh, social organization figuring it out. Yeah. And even that time of repression, like Fidel makes clear in his conversations with Fry Beto in that Fidel and religion book, um, it's not because he didn't want people to be Christians or didn't think that you could be Christian and communist. Uh, it was just that for him at that moment in time and for the communist party of Cuba, uh, itself, the goal was like, we've got to figure out all this communist stuff and we'll figure out the Christian stuff later. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, you couldn't sort of like you, you could be like a Christian who supported the communist revolution in Cuba. And in fact, like lots and lots and lots of them did. Um, so I think that's like a really interesting kind of way to look at it. Like these are Christians who related to the communist party, um, within Cuba, uh, maybe not openly as members of it or whatever. Um, but also not like alienated by virtue of their faith per se. Um, not that that never happened or something like Fidel also talks about that a little bit, but he like, didn't like it. Um, that some Christians got targeted by certain party members that were a little overzealous. Um, and then later on, uh, you know, things developed and now you can be a Christian in the communist party of Cuba and it's no big deal. No big deal at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, another throwback to an episode we did a gazillion years ago. Um, Christians for Socialism uh, was an organization in Chile um, during the Allende government. Um, they weren't formally a part of like the Socialist Party of Chile, but they were like, I don't know, a para organization or something. You know, they were a group that was definitely like uh, n- not formally a part of the Socialist Party, but also. Um, not all that divorced um again just like a group of uh a group of christians who you know found a place to be in that struggle for socialism yeah i think they're also really interesting because like the declaration of the 80s uh was 80 priests who kind of wrote a thing 
talking about how they supported the Allende government and they wanted to help Christians learn how to support it. Um, what's so fascinating about that is they basically go out of their way to say, like, yeah, okay, so we're not part of the Socialist Party as an organization, um, but we're, like, committed to figuring it out with them. And I think that is a really fascinating thing, like, just kind of the fact that they would uh, make it clear that they were affirming of the party and of the revolutionary changes that were happening in Chile, even while marking their distance from it, or at mm-hmm. least their uniqueness from it. Um, and I think that's also like a really unique and fascinating model uh, to kind of, you know, lend your your support um, and also say, like, we're supporting it as this thing in particular. Yeah, it would be really fascinating. Like in a future episode, we should revisit that and see like what the what the response was from the Socialist Party of Chile, if they were like, you know, down or if they were hesitant or something. But that's a future conversation, I suppose. um yeah i know that allende sent like a a letter of um like welcoming and thanks to them when they had their first like big conference or whatever so he was like into it fidel like came to chill with them when he visited allende so that's cool that's true i guess it doesn't get any better than that um all right so the next example is another throwback to a different episode but um uh so far we've talked mostly about like historical examples and also historical examples um from uh christians and socialists of different regions uh whether it be the caribbean asia or latin america um we have now an example that is a bit more contemporary even though not entirely um and also in north america so um maybe this one will be even more instructive or more illuminating about the ways that christians could um deal with communist parties but like i said this one's different so um we've been talking about the ways that Christians have like, like been a part of a parties or like, you know, like kind of like what that relationship has looked like. But I think one that's really interesting to me is um, the example of the young Lords. Um, we've, we have episodes in the past about them where um, uh, we talked with Daryl Wands of Serrano about the church offensive. And we even have another episode where we talk about the other church offensive. There's two, two church offensives. It, it's great. <laughs> there should be more, but um the church offensive is this thing that the young Lords did where like basically uh, once in Chicago and then once in New York, the young Lords, uh, which are not like a political party, but they are like, a, they became a political party, but they were like a group, um, you know, an activist group, not unlike the black Panthers or something um, who uh, were really interested in showing up for their community and making sure people had, you know, sort of like the things they needed to survive and live. So they decided that they um, would just start showing up to churches and asking if they could use their space. And um, in uh, New York, it didn't work out so well. Um, They occupied a church and they ended up getting arrested. In Chicago, it worked out a little bit better, um, but not for a very long time. Um, But in both these examples, it's like not Christians um, really like participating in a communist organization or a party, but it's communists showing up to church. And I think that's kind of good too uh maybe better in some ways um or at least maybe it's like more it's more like the role of the party uh or the communist organization um in the sense of like they're people who are kind of directing the way or like holding open a gap um because like the young lords when they showed up to these churches to do the church offensive um and start you know the people's church they were trying to help christians see like what it would actually look like for them to show up for their own communities um it's such a wild thing to me in New York that the, the congregation was like so against the church offensive that they're so against the people's church um, that the young lords had to seize it. But um, I think it's a really interesting thing when like, you know, that communists would, would be, 
you, you know, they, they want to, they have sort of a goal in a, an operation in mind, but that they would like show up to a church, a place where, you know, they are most likely not welcome and still try to like, um, you know, do the thing that they want to do, do the right thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they're also a really interesting example because they explicitly draw on like Christian themes and stuff in the occupation of the church. Um, and it's kind of neat that like, uh, they, like they didn't show up and they were like, Hey, you dumb Christians, you want to like, you want to do something really good? Just be, be a communist or whatever. It was like, they showed up and they were like, Hey, um, did you know that like Jesus is actually revolutionary? Uh, and I think that's like really fascinating that it isn't just the case that, you know, Christians are in communist parties, but communist parties are locating Jesus, um, in and outside the church in really weird and interesting ways. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just think about how like weird of a thing it would be like at your church if like one Sunday your priest or your pastor was going through like the par- the prayers of the people or something and they were like, uh, okay, and uh, someone wants to pray for an end to imperial wars. Uh, all right. Uh, that's right. okay. Sure. <laughs> or like, you know, you had like a potluck and someone showed up and they were like handing out Mao's red book or something. Um, it'd just be like a weird thing. I think that church people um are usually at least surface surface level very nice so uh communists out there you could show up and they would at least be kind to you to your face yeah <laughs> i'd love to hear those stories yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh cool all right well let's round out this um conversation and close it off uh by talking i guess much too quickly <laughs> about maybe why christians should join communist parties or or how or what that would even mean um so I think like this is a really hard question to answer because we've spent this whole hour like talking about communist parties, uh, kind of talking them up, talking about how cool they are, how cool they could be, what they've done, etc. Um, but it is still true that like that problem we talked about right at the beginning with Jody Dean that um, you couldn't really point to like one specific party that's kind of doing all the things um, is still a problem. Like you can't really identify the communist party that every christian should just go join on all these uh reasons right um i don't know how do you kind of navigate that complexity matt very poorly in fact <laughs> <laughs> like I, I mean i think that there's a few roadblocks to the party for christians and not just for christians but just for people um that there is not like one identifiable communist party that has such a strong presence that it can be like easily recognizable as the communist party is really difficult. Like, um, like I said, like I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's not like there's a communist party, like, or there's not, it's not like there's even like a DSA, like in my town. Right. Or even there's not even a DSA meeting. Like I could go to that's in like 45 minutes of my town. So like, um, I think people are often pretty isolated from those, uh, I mean, from radical movements in general, unless you live in a big city, um, which isn't always true, but it seems to be true in my case. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but even even if I did, right, even if I was like uh, lived in a big city, um, not even a big city, even if I lived in some kind of like urban area <laughs> and I was like, OK, <laughs> I'm going to join the Communist Party. It's like, OK, but like which one would I join like Socialist Alternative or would I join like CPUSA or would I join the PSL? Or would I just be a DSA guy or like what, right? Like the, that there are so many and not sort of like something that's unified. It's just like such a weird and hard thing to navigate. Like if it was the 1950s and you're like, listen, I'm going to join the Communist Party. Like everyone knows what you're talking about. And there's no question about right. like, oh, like 
are you a Trotskyist though? <laughs> or something like that. Like they're not going <laughs> to ask you some kind of like weird tendency question. Uh, like the, anyways, the fragmentation of the communist party is, uh, I mean, you know, in some ways understandable, but like bad if you want to have a mass movement. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no value in like denying the actual gravity of the problem. I think that's really important for communists. Um, and all the best communists like will not do that denial (laughs) like they'll admit that you know whatever we don't live in a revolutionary situation and like isn't that kind of a bummer um but that being said like uh i think that there are a lot of ways to be involved in communist parties some of them have like at-large memberships that are worth looking at um sometimes it's like even something as simple as having a subscription to like their like a communist newspaper is really cool um like i'm subscribed to the people's voice in canada and it's really great like i learn all kinds of things about what the communist party of canada thinks about different protests or strikes or world events and things like that um and i think that like christians should think about how best to connect to those things even if they can't like totally join them or something like that yeah um yeah, I don't know. Like that probably looks different for a lot of folks, um, but uh, it's also something to think about, like how to have that relationship. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the PSL are really excited to send you the newspaper, and I get about ten copies every month. <laughs> I kind of just like leave them out around campus or in my building, and no one really takes them or reads them. But I like to read them, and it's cool to have that kind of connection, even though that's like it, you know. Or I I get the DSA one too, and it's fine uh, in its own way, and disappointing in its own way too but um (laughs) those kinds of connections are good i don't know talk with talk with people uh there's one point when uh when derek ford was on the podcast he was like you know not everyone can join the party or it's like it doesn't make sense for everyone to join like the psl even but like you know um he did say that like they're willing to put you to work if you want to do something (laughs) so there you go yeah, um, and I think it's too it's true also to just kind of reconsider what Christians might gain from party organizing. Like we talked about earlier, parties have an organizational capacity, and they can help Christians learn more about struggles that Christians want to address, right? They carry these institutional memories. Um, I think that's really important. Like Christians don't get that just by sitting around and reading or reading together or even listening to a podcast or whatever, obviously. Like you have to make some kind of connections with people who are like on the ground, um, hopefully somewhat close to where you are such that you could actually learn about what it's like to be on the ground or be where you are. Um, and in my experience, anyway, communists are like all too happy (laughs) to, uh, hear that anyone wants to hear what they're up to. So, uh, I don't know. It's worth, worth checking out. Yeah, I think so. So unfortunately, um, even though like saying that you're going to join the communist party sounds like really exciting and like cool or whatever, um, organizing is really difficult work. Um, and especially if you don't live in a place where, you know, there's already people interested, it's not like there's like one really good solution to this. It's just kind of like, (laughs) it's kind of like a bummer. It's it's like the recognition that like, yeah, it would be really cool if, uh, we could be more connected in a party structure or we could have a mass movement. Um, but, uh, the situation is like, yeah, the, the gravity of the situation probably is not lost on anybody that it's very difficult to like, you know, do that. Uh, but at the same time, it, you should still try to find some way to get involved. And while that's not like a super exciting conclusion to this podcast, it's still the right <laughs> one. You should find some way to get involved. There you go. That's all you got to do. Just find some way to do it. Bear that fruit.
bear that fruit in 2019. Get them delicious communist and Christian oranges off that tree. <laughs> to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. You can also find us all over the internet and uh, we have a Facebook group. You can email us at themagnificast at gmail.com. Uh, let's see, what else What else do we have going on? Um, nothing too crazy. I guess the it's worth mentioning again, Amoria has a really amazing album out right now. Uh, AmoriaShea.bandcamp.com uh, or an EP anyway. And she did the amazing music in our intro um, and in our transitions. And we will, as always, uh, close out with a song from The Illogical Spoon. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord